This episode is sponsored by Thrive Market. I can't even begin to tell you how life-changing Thrive Market is. If you've never heard of it, it's an online marketplace that sells all of the top organic, healthy, and high-quality products at wholesale prices. That's 25 to 50% off normal grocery store prices, and they ship right to your door. They literally have all of the products that I used to buy at the supermarket that I would feel so guilty about after because they were so expensive. So Thrive has thousands of products ranging from food to beauty to home to vitamins and supplements to pet supplies and so much more. I mean, the list really goes on and on and on. I like to think of it as kind of a combination of an online Whole Foods and Amazon. However, it's obviously all discounted. So you save money every time you shop. You might be wondering, how is this possible? What Thrive Market does is that they cut out the middleman and work directly with the brand themselves, allowing them to eliminate that crazy retail markup. When you become a member of Thrive, you pay $60 a year, but just to put that into perspective, you save about $30 on every order, so the membership fee essentially pays for itself after about the first two orders, and from then on, you can save up to thousands of dollars a year. Thrive Market is also so user-friendly and makes it super easy to shop. Every product is tagged by over 90 different values, so you can sort the entire website by categories such as non-GMO, organic, vegan, gluten-free, paleo, sustainably farmed, etc. I'm telling you, Thrive Market is going to become your new online obsession. So if you go to the show notes of this episode, you will see a Thrive Market link, which will give you an additional 25% off your first order, and you can see for yourself how amazing Thrive is and how much money you really do save using it. Make sure for your first order that you do not go directly to thrivemarket.com and that you instead click on the link in the show notes of this episode to ensure that you save an additional 25% off. Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain, in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. I'm here to share with you what I've learned in my seven and counting years of personal experience with chronic pelvic pain. Approximately one-third of women suffer from pelvic pain. It's an unspoken epidemic. So many of us have it, yet no one talks about it. However, the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence. The conversations are intimate, raw, and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. With education, patience, and the proper tools and techniques, pelvic pain can be overcome. Today, I am here with Kara. She is a pelvic floor physical therapist based in New York City. Um, she was on the first episode we ever did that was intro to pelvic pain. Um, and so she's back today, and we're going to talk about the International Pelvic Pain Society conference that she went to this past weekend in Chicago. And she's just going to recap all of the interesting information that she learned there. So thanks for coming to talk to us today about that. 
Thank you for having me, Hannah. Um, I love the podcast, of Thank course. You. I mean, I'm very biased, but <laughs> I love all of the interviews you've done, and I also love all of the interviews with the patients mm. because it's really nice to hear a patient side of their story just to remind us, you know, what they're going through, and it allows us to have better empathy. So mm-hmm. thank you. That's thank great. Thank you. So last weekend, um, myself, uh, my boss, and two other PTs at the clinic, we went to the International Pelvic Pain Society meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens once a year. And the International Pelvic Pain Society, which I'll abbreviate as IPPS, was founded in 1996. And it's a group of physicians which include um, OBGYNs, gynecologists, neurologists, physiatrists, um, and any person that treats chronic pelvic pain, they'll all be there. So when we're there, you know, the main focus of the conference is to talk about the latest research on pelvic pain, um, which is interesting because, you know, we don't always get to hear it all the time. So I picked out a few lectures to touch on. I mean, there were a lot of lectures and some of them were really scientific. But um, the first one I want to talk about was from a doctor named Dr. Emron Meyer. He's from UCLA. And his talk was on chronic pelvic pain, um, insights from looking at the brain. So he wanted to look at how chronic pelvic pain actually affects the brain, which is really interesting because we know that it does, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of hard to prove like how that works. Right. And like I know that, you know, we've talked about medications to take Mm -hmm. and, you know, how do they actually affect the brain. So wait. So what kind of doctor was he? Say it again. You know, I don't know oh, what kind of doctor I thought he you said, was. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, he was from UCLA. I'd have to uh-huh. look him up. Okay. Um, but he was more looking at the brain and what happens in the brain. Mm-hmm. So here are a few points of this. So in chronic pain, which they classify as pain lasting greater than three months, um, this can cause central sensitization in the brain. So in our bodies, you have your brain and your spinal cord, which is considered your central nervous system. And then any other nerve outside of that is called your peripheral nervous system. So when you have pain for longer than three months, what happens is usually with pain, there's a stimuli that causes pain. Let's say somebody poked you with a thumbtack. Then a signal would be sent to your brain. It would be interpreted to pain as pain. And then your body would do something. So Mm -hmm. probably move the thumbtack. Right. 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 So with chronic pain, what happens is the sensors that are on your skin, more or less, um, are constantly barraged with pain signals. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly this circuit of pain getting sent to your brain. Um, and so once the pain has been there for more than three months, it's kind of a default system where even a small amount of stimuli will cause pain. Mm-hmm. So if the in- initial injury was just that thumbtack, um, it could even be something less, like just light touch to that skin that causes pain. Right. Um, I don't know if we talked about that before in the podcast. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. So he so he did some studies, mm-hmm. um, and he specifically was studying IBS, mm-hmm. vulvodynia, and bladder pain. Mm-hmm. And what he found was that the brain circuitry is affected in people that have these types of pain, meaning that the different parts of the brain have more connections where they're talking to one another. When you have these, when you have some, like these yeah. issues, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So normally, when you have pain, just one spot in your brain will light up. Right. But with chronic pain, it's multiple spots, right? Which is why it's harder to actually get rid of. Exactly, yeah. because it's like there's all these extra um, circuits that uh-huh. are happening in your brain. Um, and so he found that on imaging that that actually happened. Um, and so That's he, so so he actually 
does image did imaging of the brain of the brains with people who have these chronic disorders yes and they could see that there was more connections in their brain that's so interesting it's so interesting because you know i'm sure people have told you it's all in your head i was a literally about to say that same exact thing yeah so it's like and yes it actually is in your head but how and so this was it's pretty cool research to know that like Mm -hmm. that actually yeah exists yeah it actually exists so he also um in his talk and this is again this is what i got from his talk you know it's a very scientific talk Mm -hmm. but these were my main take-home points Mm -hmm. um he did he took a look at cognitive behavioral therapy um in treating IBS. And what it showed was that it did show a long-term improvement with IBS. And then on MRI, what it did show was that there were decreased connections in the brain, which is great. So we said that with more pain, you're going to have more connections in the brain. And MRI actually showed that after doing CBT, there were decreased connections in the brain. Interesting. Which is interesting. Um, And then it also showed changes as well in the microbiome of the gut. That's really crazy. Yeah, which is which from is cognitive behavioral from therapy. From cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, I don't know how long the cognitive right. behavioral therapy was. You know, I don't know the details of that. I mean, he, I mean I'm sure you can look him up. And there's mm-hmm. a book that I'll... He wrote a book, mm-hmm. um, which is, I'm sure, is super interesting. I haven't yeah. read it. Um, and then he also talked about that in GI tract development and other chronic pain disorders, the first three years of life are really important. So if there's some sort of insult to the system in the first three years of life, that can be um, strongly correlated, or not correlated, a strong predictor mm-hmm. of pain later in life. Okay, so I have a question that sure. you may not have the answer to. I assume you probably don't, but I feel like the first three years of your life, I could be so wrong, but I feel like the first three years of your life, not much is going on. So. What types of things could happen in the first three years that could, yeah, so you know what I, I mean? Think Unless, I don't know. No, that's a good question. Yeah. He didn't really give examples, but I imagine if, you know, potentially there was any sort of reflux when you were a uh-huh. baby or you got any sort of illness or yeah. you had to be on antibiotics a yeah. lot. You know, antibiotics we know are going to wipe out the biome of your gut. Yeah. So I imagine something like that could be an indicator. Or any sort of trauma, mm-hmm. you know, if you were in an accident or, uh, you know, any anything. Right. Um, you know, I don't know exactly. He didn't necessarily specify right. in his lecture. But I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. Because um, obviously he's found that in his patients. Yeah. Um, and but also then, I wonder yeah. how patients know if they had trauma in the beginning of their life unless their parents unless their parents kn- know. know. Yeah. Right. If their parents know, then, then I guess that you could go yeah. and ask and yeah. see. So I thought his talk was really interesting. So he wrote a book called The Mind-Gut Connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think talking more about these studies we talked about. And so Mm -hmm. I guess we can put it in the show notes. Yeah. You know, the the link to his book. I haven't read it, but Mm -hmm. he was a really dynamic speaker. And um, I want to order the book. Yeah, it sounds great. It, It sounds really wonderful. So that was my first lecture. I wanted to touch on. And also um, talking about the gut-brain connection, Mm -hmm. I... I forgot where, but this past, maybe it could have been yesterday or another day this week. I don't remember, but I read, I was reading something about, oh, I know exactly what it was. So as we talked about the other day, because 
for everyone listening, Kara's my physical therapist. And so I was diagnosed with SIBO recently, which I assumed I had, but anyways, it was formally diagnosed. So I'm taking, I ordered this um, herb, herbal supplement that a doctor that I see told me to take. And he said to take it before meals. So like I take two, I can actually put that in the show notes as well. And it's called a Trantil, I think. Okay. I'm not sure I can look it up, but it's something that I think that's the name. Um, and he, one of the main symptoms of, of SIBO is bloating. And so I always am really bloated. So he said to take two of these before each meal. So two before breakfast, two before lunch, and two before dinner. No more than six of them a day. Like, you don't need to take it if you're having a snack or something. Mm-hmm. And it's completely natural. It's just made out of, like, different herbs. I think mainly peppermint oil. And then there's two other ingredients in it. But um, it's supposed to help, really help with your gut like flora and to help your with your bloating and your digestion. And so on the box of this supplement, it said that 90% of your immune system is based off of, is like, what's the word? Is it like your gut, your gut flora holds 90% yes. of your, yeah. So like 90% of your immune system is basically based on the health of your gut flora. So if you're gut is destroyed from as you said like antibiotics or other medications or like a horrible diet or i don't know a million different things could ruin your gut flora like your immune system is just going to be shot and you won't be able to like fight off anything that comes to your body really interesting i mean it's so interesting and like i mean i know that you've been on antibiotics a ton like i myself have been on antibiotics a lot for chronic urinary tract infections and like now I know being a pelvic PD that they weren't infections but it's like all these antibiotics that they were not needed but then they cause all these other Other things yeah yeah I'm not of course if you need antibiotics you should take them but I think um, and it seems like doctors now are more cautious with prescribing them I agree um so that's a good thing yeah but that's cool so is the product working I don't know yet. You don't know yet, I have to say. Yeah. I have my period, which I told you. Okay. So I've been like really bloated anyway. So like I, I think there's too many things going on right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I'll keep you posted. All right. Yeah. All right. I read the Amazon reviews and there's hundreds of reviews saying that it works really well. All right. So let's see. So I'm optimistic. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. All right. So then the next lecture I want to talk about. Um, was by Dr. David Dickerson. Um, I don't know what kind of doctor he is, mm-hmm. nor do I know where he is out of, mm-hmm. but um, I could look that up and we can put it in the show notes mm-hmm. as well. He spoke about peripheral neuropathy treatment. Mm-hmm. So what I was saying before about the pain, right? We talked about peripheral nerve as any nerve outside of your spinal cord. So okay. once it exits the spinal cord, it's considered a peripheral nerve. Wait, what, what does it mean when it exits the spinal cord? So um, you have your spinal cord is in your where your spine right. bones are. And then you have your um, all of your nerves run down your spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And when they come out where the bones are, then they go into the body. Mm-hmm. And then they innervate all different parts of your body. So that's like if you have like pudendal neuralgia. Pudendal neuralgia or if you have sciatic pain mm-hmm. or if you had... Um, Sometimes people get numbness in their arm, uh, in their yeah. wrists, like carpal tunnel syndrome. That's a peripheral neuropathy because the nerve gets compressed, compressed right at the wrist joint. So most people who have pelvic pain probably have some form of. Yes, I mean, in some in pudendal neuralgia, mm-hmm. the thought is that the pudendal nerve is compressed, mm. um, either by a ligament in the pelvis or tight muscles. Mm-hmm. So that would be considered a peripheral neuropathy. Mm-hmm. So what um, this doctor was talking about was that, again, when there is chronic pain, 
Wait, sorry. How do you check if a ligament is compressing the pelvis or the nerves? Um, like, how do you know that? You would know because some doctors will um, they'll release. There's mm. actually surgeons that will do surgery to release the ligament so it's not pressing on the But nerve. you could see that in, like, an x-ray or something? Yeah, I mean, if you got the kind of imaging that would generally show... Like, do I have that? Nerve. I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a question. laughs> like, how would I know? You know, it's it's tough to say if it's muscle versus the ligament, yeah. right? The only way to definitively know if it's the ligament is there are surgeons that will actually go in and cut the ligament. And then it gets rid of the pain. But that would be like the last that form is of like, treatment. I would say that's like a last resort kind of treatment. Yeah. 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 Like if you respond to physical therapy and other yeah, more I mean, conservative. Yeah, if you responded to physical therapy, it's most likely muscular muscle, yeah. in nature. If mm-hmm. not some nerve component of it, mm-hmm. but... I mean, if it was really that the ligament was the problem. Now, the thing is, ligament connects to bone. So, you know, if the bones are kind of in a poor alignment, mm-hmm. then they could cause the ligament to press on the nerve. Right. Interesting. Right. Okay. So. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's a good question. <laughs> it's good questions. So, so he was talking about... Um, Kind of, so when there's chronic pain, there's kind of a wind-up of your nervous system, mm-hmm. meaning it's kind of wound up meaning it's hypersensitive right which we talked about before as well so with this chronic pain there's also um from your brain your brain can also inhibit pain so if if there's pain at one part of your body your brain is able to send down these neural pathways a way to kind of inhibit the pain and stop it from getting worse Mm -hmm. but with chronic pain that's lacking interesting so that's not necessarily present in those that have chronic pain because the signals are just like so overstimulated. Yes, they like exactly. Can't even... It's like overstimulated. It's kind of thinking like, I don't know if you've ever been like super, super exhausted, mm-hmm. but then you can't go to sleep. That always happens to me. Yeah, it's like... That happened to me last night. Yeah, so your nervous system is yeah. like overdone. It's Or I get like this anxiety. I also like hardly ever have anxiety, but the one form of anxiety that I often have is when I know I have to wake up early, I get anxiety about having to fall asleep like mm-hmm. early and then yeah. I can't fall asleep. And then you can't fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. Even though you're probably exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, and then one of the, the ways that he discussed testing patients for more of a chronic type pain is if a patient has um, more pain at night. Mm-hmm. Because what he was saying was that, um, do you know what cortisol is? Mm-hmm. So like cortisol is released in your body, um, and in the morning, cortisol should be the highest because it's going to give you the most energy, it gets you going, and as the day goes on, cortisol should decrease. Mm-hmm. And then when it decreases at night, that's when you go to bed. Mm-hmm. So he was saying, in patients with chronic pain, cortisol levels actually go up at night. They don't actually mm-hmm. taper down the way that they should during the day. Interesting. Yeah, which I thought was interesting as well. I feel like I have that sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. 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 And so, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily make sense that for any reason you would have pain at the end of the day. I mean, yeah. unless with what you were doing during the day was very rigorous uh-huh. and causing muscles to be fatigued or overworked. Or like if you're standing on your feet yeah, all day Yeah, if you're standing on your feet all yeah. day, yeah. But in the absence of that, um, I believe what he was saying was if the pain gets worse at night, like every night. That's an indicator of kind of... A chronic pain, a central sensitization, which is what Uh we talked about a little bit to start. Interesting. Now, I mean, the other thing too is, of course, if you have pain at night, you always want to see your doctor because that can also be a sign of cancer. So now... Why? 
so in terms of pain that is can't like if people lose a lot of weight for no reason Uh as well as they call it night night pain a low-grade fever and night sweats Uh that can be a symptom of cancer interesting i mean that's what we learned in pt school and Uh i'm sure there's more of course more differential but those can be the signs and symptoms of a cancer Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's why I'm saying, of course, night pain should always be evaluated by a doctor. Yeah. Just to rule out that there's nothing else causing it. Interesting. Yeah. So um, so then he was talking about ways to treat peripheral neuropathy. So I think we talked about some of these medications before, but he talked about specifically um, Lyrica. Mm-hmm. What is Lyrica? Uh, Lyrica, it, these are all... It's like mer- a Cymbalta, is it? Um, I no, it's, don't it's like know the a, generic name yeah, for Lyrica. Like an anti, it's like an antidepressant, like SSRI? No, it's not oh, an SSRI. What is it's, it? it's a nerve medication. Oh. So the idea is that the the Lyrica will help almost desensitize the nerves. Oh, uh-huh. So they stop sending those signals to the brain. Okay, I got it. Yeah. So there's Lyrica Elevil, right. which is also known as nortriptyline. Right. Um, another drug, which I've never had a patient be on, but duloxetine. Oh, I think, I'm, I think that's Cymbalta. Might be. I'm I think that's sure. like the the farm like the name on the prescription bottle. Oh, the the word. Okay, yeah. so then maybe it is. Maybe yeah, it is. that's what okay. I take. I think. Okay, so then you're uh-huh. on that. Okay, maybe that's why I hadn't heard of it. Yeah, I didn't know the other name of it. I think I, that name sounds familiar from the bottle. Yeah, and then the other medication, gabapentin. Uh huh. Interesting. So, yeah, and so I think I mean I believe again how they all work is that they decrease the sensitivity of the peripheral nerves, mm-hmm. um, and then they stop sending that constant signal to your to brain. the brain. Uh huh. Right. Now the other things he talked about doing, which I don't think we've talked about, or yeah, it's been d- talked sorry, about. Deloxetine is is Cymbalta. The brand name Cymbalta. Cymbalta. Okay. Uh-huh. There we go. Okay. Now I know. <laughs> I feel like I should know that. Whatever. All right, but now I do. It's all good. Now, the other thing he, they talked about are doing different kinds of nerve blocks. Uh-huh. So the one he mentioned is called the superior hypogastric plexus nerve mm-hmm. block. So he was saying that um, in front of the L5 vertebrae, there are there is a, a plexus, which is like a gathering of nerves. And um, if they put a block to that, it can hopefully help get rid of pain in the perineum, the pelvis, and the internal sphincters. Interesting. Yeah, which is interesting. I don't know if I've ever had anybody have that kind of nerve block. Mm -hmm. And then the other nerve block they talked about, which I have had patients have, is the ganglion impar block. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of right in front of the S3 disc. So in your sacrum, there's a disc um, Mm -hmm. in between the, the bones. And they do a block right in front of there, and that can help with pain in the perineum. Um, the external portion of the rectum, the genitalia, and the external anal sphincter. And I've seen that used before uh, with tailbone pain. Tailbone. So what's the difference between those versus the like pudendal nerve block, which is really the only one that I've Yeah, the pudendal with. nerve yeah. block is more focused on the pudendal nerve. This okay. blocks things up higher. Oh. So it's going to cover more area. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, I mean... The superior hypogastric plexus nerve block, I had never really heard of. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Something new. And then the last thing that I learned about, which was new, not learned about, I had heard of it, is it's called a dorsal root ganglion stimulation. Mm -hmm. So more or less what that means is in patients that have failed every sort of treatment and still have chronic pain, they can actually implant 
um, electrodes on the spine mm -hmm. at two different points and connect it to something that has a continuous like frequency that goes to the nerves. Interesting. And it can be really successful, but it's also like you can't take it out. It's there for life. So that's a wait, wait, backtrack. Yeah. So it, the electrodes are actually implanted inside your spinal cord. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. So it's a surgery. It's right. A, it's a big surgery. And and what is oh, sorry? What is this? The what is it supposed to do? It's supposed to help with nerve pain. So if somebody oh. who has had chronic pain that has not responded to anything. Right. So that would be like, like a, after a nerve block. Yeah, yeah. This is like a last resort. Last resort. But I that's, mean, I mean, it's nice to know that the yeah. option is available. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've never had anybody who's had it, but especially, you know, if somebody's addicted to opiates, that could be a really helpful tool to get them off. And that yeah. was another presenter also spoke about that as well the dorsal root ganglion um, stimulation, saying that it can be really helpful to get patients off opiates. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, again, that's a really, that's a really um, pretty significant treatment. So, yeah. of course, you would want to try everything else first. Right. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Where do we leave off? So, okay, we were talking about treatments for pain. Mm -hmm. So, of course, all of these treatments are, you know, you need to consult your doctor. I'm not a doctor at all. I'm just a physical therapist. Right. This is what I heard in the lectures. But, I mean, you can certainly ask your doctor if, you know, you want to try one of these options mm -hmm. for sure. And I think also that like it's just good having this knowledge because at least now you can have like a more educated conversation with your doctor about oh, of course. options, you know, about options yeah. about like, oh, I heard that I could try a nerve medication or, oh, I heard about a nerve block. I right. Mean, you know, nobody's going to give you a nerve block if you've had pelvic pain for like a month or two, of right. course. But if it's been a really long time and you've tried all the conservative measures, I mean, it could be a really good option. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. So then the last lecture I'll talk about was mm -hmm. um, by Dr. Lori Brado, and she's based out of Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, her talk was called Better Sex Through Mindfulness. Interesting. Yeah. So she basically did a study that looked at mindfulness mm -hmm. versus CBT and helping women that have pain with sex. Mm -hmm. And what they wanted to look at was, did mindfulness help in reducing anxiety, fear, um, around having sex. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily looking at pain, but they were looking at all of the components that go into having sex. Uh -huh. Because of course, if you have pain with sex, every time the sex is on the table, it's going to make you anxious. Right. And then if you try to have sex, then the muscles are going to tighten up. So it's kind of like this vicious circle right. that keeps happening. So and the mindfulness she talked about was... You know, whether it's using a toy or with your partner, really just being present and noticing what you're feeling. Like, right. okay, I feel I feel burning pain in my vagina. You know, it's a it's a large size, it's a small size, and like really describing it and then almost transforming it into a different kind of thing. Like the almost the way Tim talked about in his acupuncture talk. Yeah. Like kind of putting your pain into a ball and mm -hmm. like moving it outside of your body. Mm-hmm. You know, something to that effect. Yeah. So really being mindful when you're doing what you're doing and, and taking note of it. And so her study showed that mindfulness, I believe it was eight sessions of mindfulness in a group. Mm -hmm. So there was somebody who ran the group and, and I think it was an hour mm -hmm. um, versus eight sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy. It had pretty much the same results 
um, meaning it improves sexual function. Um, it decreases anxiety and fear around having sex. And one of the side, um, the, the thing that they found that was surprising was it actually did decrease pain. Like women did experience some decrease in pain. Through the mindfulness. Through the mindfulness. So how did she say like how one could practice mindfulness if they wanted to do this or no? Yeah, she did a little activity with us that mm-hmm. we kind of that I kind of touched on a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, she did, of course, talk about apps. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, Calm and Headspace, and um, I think that there was one more, but those two I could think of. Right. You know, because I think what she was saying, and I think this is true. Like we have a lot of patients do dilators, but a lot of patients will do the dilators and do something else at the same time. Yeah. Right. Like they'll be checking their phone or whatever, and I get that because if something hurts, why do you want to pay attention to right. it? Right. But it's interesting because by actually being mindful and paying attention to what you're feeling, it can actually help to reduce pain, mm-hmm. which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, she does have a book as well, and it's called. Um, Oh, I think it's called Better Sex Through Mindfulness. That was not the name of her lecture. My apologies. That's the name of the book. So Better Sex Through Mindfulness by uh-huh. Gloria Brado. So I think she talks a lot. I'm sure that in that book there's probably, you know, different things to do, different activities, et yeah. cetera, to do. So I thought that that was interesting because not everybody can afford to do CBT. Yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy and it's time consuming, et cetera. And it's hard to find somebody you like. But with these apps, I mean, you can really practice mindfulness mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And I and the other result from the study showed that it didn't, I don't, I think it said that it didn't matter how long you did the mindfulness more, just the fact that it was every day. Wow. Even if it was like five minutes. Yeah. I've heard people say even if you do two, one or two minutes, it's just like the habit of doing it and then you'll start to actually do it more since you're in the habit. Yeah, exactly. Uh And that's exactly what she was saying. You know, she said these women were in this group for this specific amount of time, but then I think they surveyed them a year afterwards and most of them had incorporated it into their day to day. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously not as much as they were doing when they were in the group, Mm -hmm. but women had incorporated it. And like I said, whether it was five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. But that's pretty cool to know that a study actually showed that it did decrease pain. Yeah. That, I mean, that's awesome. That is awesome. That's really cool. So that was, those are, that's a summary of this, some of the stuff that I learned. Yeah. Um, and then the two products that we saw there that were pretty cool too was the Millie. And this is a dilator that expands. Mm-hmm. So you can put it inside mm-hmm. and then there's a button on the bottom that as it's inside you can push and it slowly increases the size in really, really small sizes. So it goes from this small to as large as a large dilator, which is probably be like that thick. Right, which is like probably like three or four times the size of that. Maybe more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. And um, it also vibrates too, uh-huh. which is pretty cool. So... You know, it's just a different way to do a dilator. Normally, we have them in different sizes, but this kind of can encompass all the sizes in one. Yeah. Of course, it's more expensive. Yeah. Um, but it is just one item. So, right. like, if somebody really needs all the sizes of the dilators, this could be helpful. Yeah. Or if you travel a lot and you don't want to carry around multiple dilators, this could be a really nice option. It needs to be charged. Ours is dead. <laughs> oh, well. So that's. I yeah. mean, you have to charge it. That's important. Uh huh. But it's pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah, it's a great idea. It's really awesome. So um, we haven't had anybody use it yet, but it definitely seems pretty awesome. Amazing. The Millie, yeah. Okay. And the other thing we learned about, I don't have a sample of it. Are you still Instagramming me? No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
I'm on. All right. So this is called Ona. Okay. Someone literally just told me about this the other day. Yeah. So spelled O-H-N-U-T. So it's pretty cool. So what it is is three on, stackable rings. Zoom in. This is for men, right? Yeah. Well, it's for men, but uh-huh. it's to help with pain with sex. So For women or men? Well, the the guy would put it on, but it helps. So the idea is they're three stackable rings. Wait, they're this is is this a brand new it's brand invention? New. It's brand new. Yeah. This woman told me about it the other day. This random woman. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we met the girl Emily, I think is her name, uh-huh. and she um, invented it. Uh huh. And so it's basically three squishy rings that stack together. And I mean, it's kind of like a cock ring. Yeah. Right? So it goes around the base of the penis. Uh-huh. And the idea is that it controls the depth of penetration. Uh-huh. So if, if you or if anybody has pain with deeper penetration, you put this on and then it's going to limit the amount of the penis or whatever it is goes in. So is the theory that people who have really bad pain with penetration, it's because that some, like, it's, from, it's from when a guy would go too deep? Yeah, like some um, some women, um, if they have, let's say, endometriosis, mm-hmm. um, endometriosis can sit behind the vagina uh-huh. and in front of the rectum. Uh-huh. So that's kind of the spot where with deeper penetration you would hit. Right. And so, I mean, if they don't want to have surgery or if the pain still persists after surgery, this is just a great way to control the depth of penetration. Do you know if it like feels different for the guy if they like can't go in as deep? Um, I mean, it depends on the partner. Yeah. I mean, I imagine if you have a nice, supportive partner, it, it they probably yeah. don't want you to be a yeah, pain yeah. and they'd be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes will tell patients to get have their partner buy a cock ring, yeah. which is kind of the same thing. It's usually a little bit more firm, though, uh-huh. around the base of the penis. Uh-huh. And again, will control the depth that they can go in. Interesting. Yeah. That's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. That is cool. Yeah. So that's my recap from the conference. Um it was it was great. We yeah. met a lot of great people. There's a lot of great doctors and um, PTs as well that mm-hmm. are doing really great things and mm-hmm. I think helping a lot of people. But there's still a lot of people that don't have any resources. So yeah, you know, especially in parts of the U.S. or even all over the world where they don't have you know anybody that knows how to treat this. Yeah, I know. So. But I feel like it's amazing because I feel like I could be wrong, but. I think that pelvic pain is actually starting to become something that people really are talking about and paying more attention to. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. It I, feels that way, no? It feels or that no. way, but I mean, also we're in New York City. But I know. I imagine if you're in a rural place somewhere else, you know, that's, that doesn't really happen. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, you know, some people with chronic pelvic pain, like some, one of the standards of treatment could be a hysterectomy. Which seems like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That without is crazy. Without trying anything else, without trying pelvic floor PT, without trying anything. Why would they do that? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I, I mean... It's I, just because people don't know them anything else. Yeah. 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 Like a lack of education. Yeah, a lack of education or just... Yeah, I guess it's more a lack of education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I might be thinking more of some older doctors, right? Yeah. I would hope that now people aren't getting hysterectomies for pelvic pain. Yeah. But back in the day, that was one of the probably the first lines of treatment. Right. Yeah, it was. Interesting. Yeah. And then also, um, 
There was another book that I read about a young woman has endometriosis. Oh, it's mm-hmm. called Ask Me About My Uterus. It's mm-hmm. a really good book. And she looks back on the history of females and pain. And basically, you know, in the 1900s or even 1800s, any woman that they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her, they described her as having hysteria. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, my thought is they probably were having pelvic pain or endometriosis yeah. or any sort of pain, but nobody knew what was going on or, mm-hmm. or nobody listened or they just didn't know what to look for. So these poor women were just called hysteric. That's so sad. And just written off as being crazy. That's so sad. It is crazy. It's sad. It's it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And also something that I just thought of related to that is I follow this woman on Instagram. She's like a pretty big blogger in LA, but she has Lyme disease and she is like has become a really big advocate for Lyme disease and um she talks about how it's an invisible illness and i thought that that was such like a good i mean i don't know for lack good for lack of a better word but a term that resonated with me because you know pelvic pain or interstitial cystitis vulvodynia are all invisible illnesses so you know when when you're in society, people have no idea that you're what you're going through. They have no idea that you're in pain every day. They have no idea that you're sick. But you really like, it's a serious illness, and you really don't feel well from it. But it's not visible to the human eye. And that doesn't mean that it's not valid or that's not real. It's just something that other people can't see from looking at you. Right. Of course. And then mm-hmm. too, it's like the level of comfort of talking to somebody. Like at work, you're not going to be like, "Oh, my vagina's burning." Exactly. You know, versus like if your shoulder hurt, you would be like, "Oh, my shoulder hurts." Right. Like I'm going to go to PT for my shoulder. I'm right. Not gonna say, "Oh, I'm going to go to PT for my vagina." Right. Or like my back hurts, I can't sit down right now. Like you're not going to be like, "Oh, my vagina hurts, I can't sit right now." Right. 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 Exactly. So, I mean, I also think too, you know, a lot of like Lena Dunham has. Amazing, a I lot know. about endometriosis, adenomyosis, and all of these things. And yeah, making it apparent that you know this is an issue. And mm-hmm. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. She posts a lot, and she seems like everything is pretty raw and yeah. real. Yeah, and drawing more attention to the issues. So. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So interesting. So helpful. You're yeah. the best. Thank so hopefully you. we can put those things in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll put all of the books, books in the yeah. show notes if people are interested in ordering them. And also if anyone wants to get in touch with you. Yeah, you can email me. Uh-huh. Um, Kara M mm-hmm. at fivepointpt.com. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and shoot me an email. Or if you want to call the clinic, we can do a 15-minute phone consultation for free. And that's the phone number is 212-226-2066. And we're right in Chelsea and Manhattan. But even if you're not in the city and you want to call, we can see if we can find somebody in your area. That could be helpful. Yeah, that's, a doctor, a PT. That's great. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.